Hi, everybody. Welcome. This is Julie Bates with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 186. And I'm doing this one again when it is just bitterly cold and sort of sleeting and foggy and cars turned over on a slippery highway and stuff. So it's wintertime. It's always a little bit more time for podcasts because uh, it's very hard to be outside for very long. You slip and fall just on gravel right now. So I hope, you know, too many people aren't subject to the same thing. But it's January, so that's what we get. Today I'm going to do a brief uh, G update because I have one and then wrap up the prior deal and then just start uh, the next podcast. For anyone that's new to this and just kind of tuned in wondering what it is, uh, this is a podcast. It's called Training the Pointing Labrador because that's the book that I wrote that's the only one on that particular topic. Uh, so it's kind of one of a kind in terms of that. Um, but dog training isn't real, it's not just about if you have a retriever that points or for pointers or something like that. It's for dogs and it's mostly for owners of dogs. So we sometimes we get very specific on retriever stuff, we're very specific on pointing retriever stuff and sometimes just dog stuff and sometimes just people stuff. And the people stuff is a little bit of what I'm doing uh, during this kind of period of time. It's not competitive season, even though you know most people are training hunting or training in the competitive retrieval world. Um, and it's just, you know, it's a good time to think about stuff and design out some programs and, and get ready for the coming year or the coming dog that you have. It's a real good time for that. And I can at least give you some very good ideas or a little bit of food for thought about what you're doing. I don't come on here and tell everybody exactly how to do stuff, but I do offer... Uh, a lot of years experience of just how to think about it and how to do your own kind of problem solving or troubleshooting a little bit. Anyway, let me get on now to a G update. G is a puppy that I've had for about almost a year now. I think I got her. She was, came at eight weeks and I think that's right, uh, roughly a year ago in the cold dead of winter. I had pictures on Facebook of her just diving into the water. She didn't know it was water. <laughs> and it's kind of, it's a, a warm water slough. So she came out, she's very light yellow and she came out just black. <laughs> and there's pictures of that. That's how we got started. Um, and I've just um, chronicled her entire development. She is a pointing retriever. She's out of uh, two very fancy dogs, as I like to put, which means like every title in the world. So I don't even know what they are. Um, and just chronicling the ups and the downs and the progress and stuff. So she's a, a little bit over a year old now. I guess 14 months maybe. And is getting ready to run in the master level, I'm hoping, at the APLA uh, this spring when the tests start up again. And so, you know, and she, I put her on birds. For those of you with pointy dogs, I put her on birds from the very beginning. One, because I am a trainer and I have birds on my place. No, I don't raise them, but I buy a lot of them. And put her on birds from the very beginning, and she pointed the very first bird she was on, and basically almost every other one since then. And then we went through the aggressive stages on the pointing. Um, always retrieved, just always retrieved. But she just lives to retrieve. Um, and, and so we did, in the beginning, she would point for a minute or two. As this is a little puppy, just 
she would just freeze there and just stay there. It was just awesome. So fortunately, I know that that doesn't mean that will always be that way. There's a few dogs that are that way. Uh, but it, it, pretty soon it went from a minute and a half or two minutes down to 30 seconds and 10 seconds. And then pretty soon she's all the bird has to do is show an eyeball or a feather and, and we move. And so then we had to go into how to address that, which I've talked about real briefly at the beginning of all these things. Anyway, now, f mostly f when we go out and do upland birds, she points and holds and is steady to wing and shot. She did do one little oopsie this week where it was a, uh, an, an ill bird. It couldn't fly. And she pointed that. And when I got up there, she just reached in and picked it up, which you can't do. But wounded birds, that's what they're supposed to do. So I couldn't really get too upset about that. I had to be more careful about birds that were planted. Can't have ones that, you know, are, are not okay because that's like a wounded bird and they're supposed to pick those up. But other than that, she's, uh, she's starting to really comprehend that. And her sister that is uh, just didn't have the early birds as a little puppy because I got her about five or six months. But then she pointed her first birds and pointed her a long, much longer time. And then she got more aggressive than G. And so I was really struggling with that one, and I did some cord stuff, and I did, you know, kind of stepped outside the lines. Anyway, this week we had her find a bird, hold the point, stay there, steady to wing and shot. So we are running down the right highway with her, too. Um, just had, took a little bit different approach. And again, same litter, two females, trained by the same person, doing the same things. And I had to use a very different approach with her. Um, well, I don't know, very different, but a different approach. So that's kind of how that goes. The thing is not to get whatever your dog does. You know, that, that's today. Um, and they're growing up, and there's all kinds of crazy things that happen. And if you can just try and keep yourself at a fairly even keel and your expectations just regular, because this is often a very time-dependent thing. Um, if you shoot every bird and encourage them to go in and get them, then that's what they're going to do. So there's a whole lot to that stuff. I have a lot of podcasts on that already, and uh, if people want, I can go back and review some of that young dog stuff because it's it's kind of it's an exciting, <laughs> intriguing part of their training. So things are very good on the Teddy Zia puppies, uh, doing really well, and looks like the future's pretty bright there. They're sturdy girls, so I tell you, you could take them goose hunting. I think ostrich hunting even, and they could probably whether turkeys bring them back, they'd be good. I'm going to just wrap up the last thing that I did was the being a better trainer stuff. And I, I, I uh, talked a lot. I, I went back and listened to those things, and there was a just a lot of... I, I hope it wasn't like just too much or too much detail. I hope not. Uh, there was a lot of detail because when you're training a dog, I don't know how you do it effectively if you're not down there in the detail. You know, if you're just kind of going over the gross things. And, you know, making the right moves and all that, then I, I don't know how much you're into that dog's head and really changing their thinking and their behaviors and stuff. So that was my attempt at that. And I, I, re, I listened to all of it, and I, of course I agree with it. You know, to document what you're doing, plan out what you're doing, and then become very involved in the details, the very simple, keep things simple. Don't have eight things or five things going on. Have one thing going on, and then when you're good at that, maybe two things going on. 
Um, you're the limiting factor right there. If you get too much going and then you can't quite keep it together, your dog has no chance of figuring all that stuff out. Uh, and then to, again, document that and think about it and take responsibility. And, and that's what I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave this topic with that, and that is the taking responsibility. I mentioned early on in that little series that when you bring your pup home and they're eight weeks old, nine weeks old, whatever it is, um, and you're, they're being trained 24 hours a day. They are being trained. You may not be aware of it or think of it that way, but they are. And all the things that you do and the interactions you have, whether they're ones you're thinking about and mindful about or ones that you're just trying to get things going because you got to get out the door or, or whatever, uh, all of those things are imparted to the dog. And when you teach them that you don't pay too much attention to them, that's what you teach them not to pay too much attention to you. It's very much of a quid pro quo kind of a thing, whether you realize it or not. And the final thing that I want to put on that, and that was brought home by uh, some people recently that I, I train with and deal with, talking about problems with their, their trained dogs, their mature dogs, looking for solutions to their problems um, externally. You know, somebody said I should do this, or and they so they're trying these, these. I, I'm sorry, I, I'm going to call them gimmicks. They're trying these gimmicks, uh, these things to see if it can solve the problem that they created. And I don't see, uh, and so often when people have problems with dogs, they look external when that's not the source of the problem, because we're training these guys all the time. We are training them all the time. Somewhere along the line, whatever this behavior is that we don't care for, it started, it nucleated a little bit, it started to grow a little bit, and we didn't identify it, and it becomes a bigger problem. And then we start asking other experts, well, what, what would you do? And then they tell you, <laughs> which I still, I never get over that. I was like, you don't have a clue what they did to, to do that. Um, so when we have problems with the dog, when I have problems with dogs, okay, when my dogs are doing something that I am not pleased with, not what I wanted, I don't look around to see what caused it external. I will ask myself, what have I done that is making that happen? Because if I don't identify that, I can do in every gimmick in the world that I'm going to fix it. So one of the things for you, for you to be a little bit better trainer than you are right now, maybe you already do this already, fantastic. Not, and I don't mean the guilt thing, oh, I probably didn't do it right. Oh, I'm just not very, I don't mean that kind of stuff. I mean, look at my dog is, is uh, trying to kill the cat. What have I done that has made this dog think that this is okay? And what can I do to change that kind of thinking? Um, that's what we have to do when we have problems with dogs. Now, if you got it from someone else and it came with a problem, now you're really in trouble because you got to figure out what they did to get this going. And because there's not just a solution to this stuff. So if you are capable of looking at things that way and taking on the responsibility, because that's one, not fun. It's very unpleasant to go, I caused a problem with a dog. You know, it, that's not fun. And then to try and figure it out, that's really not fun. Because you've really got to look at the things that you've done. So um, I guarantee you the people that are real successful, there's a lot of self-evaluation and, 
and you know taking responsibility for things that are going on and the people that don't um aren't usually that successful so that's the last part of that i would like to to bring home um the problem you've trained your dog so when they're doing things look in the mirror to find out uh why some of this has happened unless you've got the dog you know with the problem when you got it and then again that's a that's a tough one so i am going to start today my my series of probably my very single favorite most favorite topic in all of dogdom and it's the thing to which i've really dedicated uh, so much of of what i write and what i think and what i do and what i watch and that is the building of a dog and i don't care what kind of breed you have you know what size little tiny big great big whatever i don't care what that is but when you get a puppy or or a very young dog but preferably a puppy because the clean slate is always the best thing to start with easiest thing to start with maybe not best easiest thing to start with and you want to to have this dog that you get and have it be a lifetime of of wonderfulness whatever it is you want to do whether it's a competing retriever whether it's a hunting retriever whether it's a hunting dog whether it's like my wiener dog it's a hunting dog but a little tiny one or a mastiff or an afghan you know or a bug whatever you have you get a dog uh, i hope for a purpose other than because nobody else likes you and will sit around with you (laughs) so if you you if you don't get a dog that is supposed to have a purpose and a function and a job in its life then there's nothing to build and so there's you know there's just nothing to build it just needs to stay alive not ask for too much and not be too much of a problem but most of us get dogs because we would like to fill in the blank um so I'm going to talk about the building of a dog. I'm not going to talk about my other real favorite subject is get the right kind of dog for you. So if you live in an apartment um, off Park Avenue, maybe the Afghan, the Husky, the Weimaraner, maybe not the best dog for you. You know, and I'm not going to, that people do that all the time. I just love the way Huskies are. And I live in Phoenix. So I, you know, it's like, don't get a Husky in Phoenix. Someone with a husky in Phoenix is listening to this, I know. That's a dog with a lot of hair in a place where you don't need a lot of hair almost ever. So, um, again, there's so many. A dog that needs to run a lot, and you live in a little barber and take him down onto the 10 by 10 piece of dog pea grass, probably not good. But I'm not going to get into that stuff. So you pick an animal that is a good fit for you with a purpose with a purpose the majority of people listening to this use their dog either to compete or to hunt with the majority now my wiener dog that's a hunting dog so i'm counting that (laughs) hound dogs hunting dogs um but and again it applies to her and it applies to to the you know all the the field champions retrievers pointers all of them it applies to all of that stuff but the first and most important part is that those dogs are going to have a job with you. They're going to have a purpose. You need that in your head. And then you can put that into your dog's head. That they have a purpose. Now I have a feeling that anyone listening to this, going to the trouble to find this and listen to it, probably understands the importance of purpose 
for any living thing. It's important. I won't, matter of fact, I would say it's so important as to be uh, a life and death matter. Because an animal that serve, feels it serves no purpose and has no need is either something we artificially contrived, like we do some of these domesticated animals that, you know, I don't know, they, they breathe and they don't do very much. But nature creates animals that if they don't have a purpose, if they're not necessary, they wind up going away. Because nature is kind of a dynamic thing and things need to serve a purpose, provide, be part of a community, or there's really no reason for them to exist and eventually they don't. And for all of us, you know, that have purposes in our lives, we have a job, we have things that we do where we contribute, you know, maybe we have a family and we're raising kids or, or you know, taking care of a farm or whatever it is, we have a purpose. And so even when you're grumpy and unhappy, you got to get up today and you got to go take care of business. And it's, it's one of the reasons that we're all here and keeps us going all the time. And our animals, they're not human and it's not on the same level, have the same thing. So when you get a dog, and let's just for the sake of this, you got a pointing retriever, puppy, like G, when G came here eight weeks ago, or a year ago at eight weeks, right? She has a purpose. And her purpose was, because her owner is her mother's owner, and the guy hunts like 10 billion do uh, birds a year. And also, all of his dogs are compete in title and all that stuff. So her job is to be a working dog. She's going to hunt until she can't hunt anymore. And then she's going to compete in various, you know, AKC and APLA events as high as she can go, which should be, you know, pretty good. Um, that's her job. And so a lot of her job is to be learning a lot of things. She's got to be able to be rock solid steady in the upland field, rock solid steady in the duck blind and the goose blind and the laydown blind, and for doubles and triples and quads and technical water blinds and the whole thing. So school is a big part of her life, and it's her job. And then we move that job into carrying out the competitive stuff and then hunting hunting all the time, lots and lots of birds. So that's her job. And my job is to teach her her job and get her to be real good at it. And then we're also great buddies and she runs with me every day and all that stuff. But that's how we started this whole thing out is her purpose and my purpose. And they are combined together um, and moving in the same direction. That's, that's super important. When you raise dogs in a, it, it, let's say this, when they're eight weeks and, you know, two months, three months, four months, five months old, six months old, those are the ultra critical times where that dog goes from knowing nothing to having a perspective on what the world is, what their role in it is, how they're to interact, how, how this whole thing works. That's where they learn that and what their relationship is with you and other animals and the world around it. And so when you, if you bring a little dog home and you have five dogs or four, I don't care, one other dog, you, there's other dogs. And so boom, we set the dog down with everybody else and it immediately becomes part of that dog pack. 
and becomes a member of that dog pack, not yours, but that dog pack. And it gets it, it learns, it watches the interactions, it sees what the dogs are interacting with you and how everything works, and then they mimic the other dogs, and then they become part of that dog pack and take their place in it, which generally is not alpha dog. It's, you know, down there a step or two or three or the very bottom of it. And then that becomes the role that they take on um, as a little dog. And unless that's what you want... It's, it's usually better, usually better, considering you have a normal, mentally healthy puppy, that in those early stages, my opinion now, that you be the alpha dog and the pack leader, and it's you and that little dog, and they get to spend some time with the other dogs if you have them. They get to do some stuff with them because they, you know, that's perfectly fine. But their primary identification and connection is with you. Assuming you're going to go do things with this dog uh, and train it and, and want it to be connected with you, then on these early stages, you have to connect and be the, take over mom's position as the head thing in its life and the thing that it learns from and looks up to and, and gathers data from and all that. So to do that means that you don't just bring the dog home and Throw it out with the rest of them, and then every now and then go do something with it because it won't take but a week or two, and that dog is a pack member. And it'll only come if the pack comes to you or the lead dog or whichever one is following around. And you've got a real situation now where you just have a dog that you're going to have to kind of go in there and hack out of the pack if you can and try and teach things. I, there are no upsides when you are going to be working with an individual dog and having a dog be your hiking buddy, your running buddy, your competitive dog, your hunting dog. It's much easier on the dog to have it begin to believe that you are the focal thing and that you are the source of all the fun stuff and all the challenge and all the adventure and all the excitement and that, that you are the one from which it learns and every now and then it gets to hang out and play with the other guys and it's a lot of fun. But that's only a little bit because then we go back to regular stuff. Okay. I did that with G. I talked about it. You know, I have a lot of dogs here in, in kennels. And when G came as a puppy, she was in the house and she was in her own kennel in the outside the house. Because quiet time, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. So she was with me and she got the walk every single day and it was always just the two of us. And then she got put back, and I would go train other dogs and do stuff, and she would be by herself in, in the kennel, not in the kennel building with everybody else, but down by the house. And so her formative times, when she saw me coming, it meant, oh, good, we're going to go do some stuff. Maybe going to take a walk, maybe go swimming, maybe do some retrieving. It was the highlight of her day. And then she could come in the house and spend some time in the house. And that was fine, you know, and there's, there's some rescue cats at my house. So she had to learn, no, those are not retrieve things. So she began to learn to interact with those, those animals. And then there were, she would be around some of the other dogs sometime and they were not her toys. And she wasn't to just completely tune me out in the presence of other dogs. And we spent uh, so much time together doing, doing things. Not just together, but doing things so that when the side of me, wherever she was, if she was in the house or she was in her kennel 
or in her little yard and she saw me, it was like, oh, good. Right. So the happy thing comes and she's just and it's just all about the two of us. And so that went for months, for months. And in that period of time, this dog, one, I became the most important person in her life because I meant all good stuff, including breakfast, dinner, exercise, retrieving, swimming, training, and occasionally getting to mess around with the other dogs, all came because I showed up and I was there. So that was, that's exactly the mindset I wanted this dog. I was not depriving her of anything. She did not know that there was anything that she was missing. And actually, there wasn't anything she was missing. Because I don't think a bunch of dogs ramming around a playing and acting fools is valuable in any way. Now, if you put her out with other dogs, best yeah, she'll run around with them and stuff. But if I take a step towards the door, boom, she's right there. <laughs> are we going? Are we going to load? What are we going to do? All created in those first few months. So she, she'll be with other dogs and love it. But if I'm going to go do something fun, she's like, okay, I'm here. Let's go. So I don't ever have to reel her in from other things and other, you know, people or other dogs because our big old connection was set up from day one and grew over the months. The other key part of that on a young dog, and, and I think, golly, I cannot under, I just can't tell you how important this is, particularly because I get so many dogs in for training that never had this. Because everybody gets their dog and they love them and they spend as much time. And in the COVID things, I think people spent basically 24 hours a day with their dogs uh, these last couple of years. So their dogs become very dependent on their presence and their being entertained by these people around. So, you know, I was here in COVID and working here by myself a lot and all that stuff. And I still, with G, who came right in the middle of it all, Right? We, would, we would get up in the morning and do the walk and maybe do some uh, retrieving. So we're training, right, the whole time. Okay, you go right outside, and then you relieve yourself, and then we'll get a drink or whatever, and then we go out, and we do this walk thing, and you stay with me, and you pay attention to where I'm going, and yet you explore all of these things. The walk is so powerful. And you experience new things and you find out about stickers and you find out about cactus and you find out about deer poop and you all these things. And then we get to do some retrieves. Oh, it's so fun, right? Oh, so the love of retrieving increases because we only do two or three. That's it, no matter what. And then, oh, we just leave it where, oh, it's so thrilling to be able to get to do some retrieves. And then we come back and then we have breakfast and then we go in the kennel. And we're going to have some quiet time for a few hours. There's not going to be anybody around. I'm going to be doing things with the other dogs. I'm going to be busy. She's by herself from the beginning. And so as the weeks and months go by with this, she begins to learn that, oh, when you're doing this stuff with mom, right? And when you're doing stuff with her, oh, just to fully invest yourself. It's so great and it's so fun. And it always ends. And then when it's over and you have breakfast, which is wonderful, that's perfect time for a nice nap, you know, sleep, and learn to be on your own. So she does not have separation anxiety and never will. 
because she understands I do great things and then I just cool my jets, sometimes for hours, right? And for hours. Now, was she ever left in a crate? No. Um, I Because I think that dogs, especially puppies, they have to urinate frequently and moving. You know, they're growing and stuff. They need to move. So for me, always a kennel run. I, you know, I don't live in an apartment on Park Avenue, so I don't have to worry about that. But I wouldn't probably get a big muscular athletic dog if I couldn't have them somewhere where they could get up, move around, get a drink, relieve themselves if they need to, and lay back down. The point is that they don't, they're not going to develop bladder infections or anything like that or barking because they want out and nobody's there. But they are going to learn that, hey, sometimes you're on your own and you just be on your own and you don't need people there all the time and you don't need entertainment puppy give them something to chew on older dog give them something to chew on a really nice knuckle bone or something but that was key she never knew any different and so she never knew that when somebody put you back you know whether wherever it is when she's traveling and she's on the on the trailer with me she goes back in her hole and she's oh, okay i'm in here i guess i you know i'll just so she makes sure she's relieved. She has water in there and she just sleeps and she's not sitting there nagging me to get out. Are we going to get out? I want out. I want out. It just didn't even cross her mind because that kind of thinking never got set up. She was never just with me constantly because it's not good for her. <laughs> you know, it, may, it doesn't matter if I want her around me all the time. Oh, I just want to have this. I love this puppy. She's so neat. When we finished our stuff, I put her away and I went on and did other things because that's what was best for her. I didn't get her so that I would have all the company I wanted. I got her to produce this, to build this dog that I'm hoping is going to be like her mom and like her dad. You know, this is going to be a phenomenal, talented dog. She's going to live the life of Riley when she goes home. You know, and she's going to be living on a bed in the house and having a great life and just think it's wonderful. And we'll understand all the ramifications of life. You know, sometimes, you know, there's some months that we don't hunt at all. And so we'll go train and we'll do stuff when she goes home, I mean. And we'll go out and we'll swim and we'll be active, but we're not going to hunt. And she's going to be fine with that because she's learned from the very beginning. Life is good and you're always fine. Just hang out and see what it is. So on these new dogs, when you're building them, instead of, oh, but look how cute they are. Let's just have them in here. I want them on my lap, up in my face, crawling around all over me all the time because it makes me feel so good. And you're teaching this dog that. You're teaching them, oh, you have to be just stuck on me all the time. Just all, And if I ever leave you, oh, it's terrible, but I'll be back. Don't worry. And everybody always worries about leaving their dogs. And I always say, that is Simi, here we go, puppy. Do our thing, put them in the kennel, give them good stuff, nice bed, stuff to chew on, gone. And maybe in the beginning they make noise, and maybe they don't. But pretty soon they don't. And you're teaching these dogs, just like we need to teach human beings, is you have to deal with certain things in life your whole life. And part of it is sometimes you're going to hang out on your own. You're going to be in the backyard. You're going to be in the kennel run. You're going to be in the house. You're going to be on the dog truck. And that's fine. And then we're always going to go do good things. And you're always going to be taken care of. But this is part of the deal. And if they never know anything different, then they never get upset. 
and you don't have separation anxiety, and you don't have a dog that barks all day long while you're gone, or sits in the kennel and barks, or destroys stuff because they're so upset because you're not there. Because when they were little puppies, you taught them, I'm always there. You make a peep, I take care of you. You ask for anything, I take care of you. And pretty soon you're not there to take care of them and they don't like it. And it's not what you taught them. So that's a very important part of building a dog is those early weeks and months, the very early ones, where you begin to equip this dog for the rest of their lives. And I don't think many times people think of that with the little puppies because they're so cute. You know, and they have puppy breath in the beginning and they have little eyes and they're just so tiny and they just, I get all that stuff. But if you really do love them, then don't just suck the life out of them by pleasing yourself with their company and how cute and they keep kissing you in the neck all the time. But help them develop to become the kind of dog that you want when they're three years old and six years old and nine years old. And that's a dog just like a person that goes with the flow. You know, if you're traveling, then they travel. They get in the crate, ride in the vehicle, how, you know, get out, relieve themselves, do their thing, get back in, travel, fine, eat while they're traveling, all of it, all of it. And then if you're going to compete, you know, they like training. Yeah, let's do, let's train today. They love training if you approach that right. And so they want to get trained and they love learning stuff and they love challenge and they love activity. And if you do exercise things, they can do, with, do it with you with you not running all crazy all around if you take any dog i don't care what breed what thing if you take any dog and teach them i am the source of the most wonderful things in the world including dinner and breakfast i am that source and then other times you know i got stuff to do and you need to cool your jets because you're just a dog not the person i got a lot of stuff gotta pay bills work do things and you need to just be the dog at home and you teach them from the very beginning which just seems so heartless to people and it's probably one of the least heartless things you can do okay this is how life is this is how it is and you're the center of the attention and then cool your jets for a while one of the most powerful things you can do to help a dog um throughout the rest of their life but to build a dog that you can do, go do anything you want with that has a great attitude and and probably a little bit healthier if you you're gonna we're starting with a puppy now you get the right one for you and you decide what your goals with this dog are and what you want their job to be and a part of that is going to be the kind of behavior that I talked about. Well, they whatever you you want to do, they want to do. The side of you is the most important thing. You outrank the other people and the other dogs. Yes, you can have the kids, you can have other people in your family, you can have other dogs. But you have to take the development time of this first one and make sure that this dog spends some time alone. Even if it means it has to be in a crate. And if the other dogs are out running around the yard catching rabbits and barking, and your dog is inside in the crate, they do not know that they are being isolated and not chasing squirrels around like the other dogs. They do not know that. So teach them from the beginning before they know stuff that, okay, after we do this, then you kind of go in the crate in the bedroom or the garage or wherever, and you just rest for a while. Never mind what the other dogs are doing. It's you that's sitting there making that e equality out dog isn't doing it they're going oh, I come over here and go in the crate 
and the less of a super strong bond you let them form initially with your other dogs or, uh, or the kids or whatever, then they won't have that and they won't care what the other dogs are doing because you want to go do this. And that's going to outrank that. So I'm going to leave that one there on building a dog. But those little things right there are just immeasurably powerful. And when dogs aren't, haven't had that, and I get that all the time, right around six months of age, and they're driving the owners crazy, right? And that's when I get them. And it doesn't know it's a dog, and it doesn't know that if I say something, it's important. And it just makes all kind of noise and only wants to be with the other dogs. And I can just see what this dog's life has been. And I have to go break through that and try and reach this dog and go, no, actually, no, none of that stuff was really what, what it is. It's going to be you and me, and we're going to figure some stuff out together, and we're going to work together. And, it, and I, you know, I have to kind of find a way to break through that dog. And I don't mean break like force break. I'm talking about, you know, reach that dog and go, no, never mind all the noise in the other dogs. It's you and me. And it takes a while before they begin to go, oh, hey, this is pretty cool. You are pretty. I, this is nice. Never, it wouldn't be necessary. When I get dogs in that were raised the other way, they're like, okay, what are we doing? What's up? Oh, I just want to kiss the owner <laughs> because they made that dog understand how to participate in life, not just try and take everything you can from everybody around you. So that's the beginning of the uh, dog building thing. And that's only the first couple months. But those are extremely important. Um, and we will, on my next one, we will continue that on the dog building when it gets into the, the middle school ages, you know, and it, it can be a little bit difficult, just like with human kids. <laughs> we will talk about that. So that's it for today. I hope everybody is staying healthy, staying warm, staying out of the ice and snow. And uh, G and I will be back very soon.